Hey, today on Jesus, Sex and Politics, we got a really special episode for you. We had the privilege at Life Church to bring in Charlie Kirk for a Freedom Night in America event this past week. We're going to play that for you here. Charlie, if you don't know, is one of the leading voices when it comes to next generation conservative biblical values in our nation. He started Turning Point USA. He has the largest grassroots movement in America going, and he is an incredible inspiration. We know it's going to bless you. He's blessed many people all across this nation, so hang on to your seats. You're not going to want to miss this here today on Jesus, Sex, and Politics. It brings hope when you hear messages like that. We're not done. God has got a plan for all of us. God is going to use us all mightily. I guarantee that. We just have to let him do it. So, obviously, the next speaker that I have the privilege of introducing up here is being used by God in a mighty, mighty way. And you, uh, I, I just have to say, Turning Point faith was launched about a little over maybe almost a year ago now um, and I got a call from this amazing pastor in the community her name is Andrea Bootsellis and she said Micah you've got to you've got to look up this turning point faith ecosystem that Charlie Kirk is starting and so I looked it up and I was like this is amazing the church is the key to taking back our nation and Charlie Kirk was yes he was he was Starting this ecosystem in Turning Point that says, all right, we have got to get pastors and churches and congregants and members engaged in this fight that we're in. And the Lord is calling that silent majority to stand up and be silent no more. And that's what I love about Charlie, that you're going to hear his heart tonight. It's going to bless you. I know it will. He blesses many people around this nation and encourages us. So, Without further ado, would you please help me welcome Charlie Kirk. Appreciate it, man. That's awesome. It's awesome. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Well, Charlie, so thank you for coming to Indiana. Thank you for loving our nation the way that you do. I just want to give you a chance to share your heart. Um, what makes you tick? What do you think our greatest battle is right now? And what do we, here in Indiana, grassroots community, what do we do to, to turn back the tide of this radical left? Well, first, I just love Indiana. What a great place. Uh, <laughs> I, just, I, I grew up in Illinois, and coming to Indiana, it reminds me what Illinois used to be in some ways. Because um, there's so many people from Illinois that moved here that were great patriots. Uh, now, many of you know this, being from Illinois, we have term limits in Illinois. It's different than most states. It's one term in office, one term in jail. So, <laughs> when we ask for our governor's cell number, <laughs> I actually mean his cell number. I got one more. My grandmother was a lifelong Republican, passed away in the mid-1990s from Chicago. She's been voting Democrat ever since. So. <laughs> Indiana was always the state that I envied the most. Um, Can you tell the story real quick? I didn't know this until you were speaking uh, the, tonight over at the church at the meet and greet, and, and you said something that blew my mind. Uh, you liked Indiana so much that what did you do? Yes, yeah, so it's interesting. It's, it's, on a technical basis, this is true. If you just look at any of our uh, Turning Point USA uh, 990 forms. So Illinois was becoming increasingly oppressive and authoritarian, and I wasn't really trusting who was running the Illinois government for good reason. I think you would all agree. And so I started to see some behavior from people across the country targeting groups like Project Veritas or pro, uh, targeting the pro-life groups in California from state-based attorney generals. And I was like, I don't want this to happen in Illinois. So I called one of my board members. I said, we need to go and change our headquarters to a friendly state. And he's like, all right, where? I said, well, Indiana, obviously, right? So <laughs> if you look at our Turning Point USA 990 forms, uh, we're headquartered in Crown Point, Indiana, if anyone's asking, <laughs> actually. So amazing. 
And, and it was because of Attorney Gen General yes, Curtis Hill. Because it was a sane constitutional you know, defender that actually believed in the rule of law. And so it's great to be home, I guess. So how cool is that? And yeah. our offices are in Phoenix, Arizona, but like many people, I was like, I don't feel comfortable in Illinois, so we got out pretty quickly. But uh, Indiana's always had the hardest working people, Midwestern work ethic, amazing values, very, very well-run state. Um, and I think that you know, Indiana needs to continue to push back against Washington, D.C., this woke nonsense that's happening in our country. We'll talk about that. Uh, you asked about kind of why I do what I do. Um, I gave my life to the Lord in fifth grade, and it was the most important decision I made in my life. I have always had a heart for liberty, and I've never liked bullies, and especially I don't like tyrants that have a lot of power uh, that people then give them. And so I've always kind of been trying to push back against that my entire life. When I grew up, I was told in the church that politics and religion must be separate. I'm sure a lot of you have heard this or go to churches where this is kind of taught. And that's okay, because I believe that for a long time. I always had my political views when I started Turning Point USA in June of 2012. I was a Christian, but I always made sure to make it separate. Like I would never blur the two things together. I would never mention them. And I really kind of had all of that challenge when I met my now pastor, Rob McCoy, that you mentioned, where I realized that if we're talking about what is right and wrong, we're talking about morals, we're talking about values, we're talking about truth, how is that separate than our faith? In fact, it's in harmony with our faith Amen. because our faith instructs what is good what is moral, and what is true. And so then, I was told by many pastors before, you know, nowhere in the Bible does it say you should get involved in politics. Nowhere in the Bible you should do this. And that's just not true. In Jeremiah 29, 7, it says, you must demand the welfare of the nation or the city that you are in because your welfare is tied to your nation's welfare. That's the Lord speaking to the people of Israel. And some pastors will say, oh, nowhere in the Bible are there people that got involved in politics. Well, then what do you do with Esther, Mordecai, Nehemiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, just the name, or Joseph, just the name a few, all throughout the scriptures. There are people that are God's chosen people trying to influence secular government for his purpose. And in fact, we as Christians are called to be salt and light in every arena. And that includes whether or not we're going to talk about government. And so I'm very clear about what matters most, right? We must always... We must always prioritize our time, our treasure, our resources in a series of hierarchies, right? We as Christians believe in that. The ultimate, most important thing, the most important thing we can do in our life is accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and get other people to do that as well. That's the most important yeah. thing we can do. And so, but my day job is the second most important thing. What I, what I do my three podcasts a day on, when I do my radio show, when I visit college campuses so you don't have to, it's about the second most important thing, <laughs> which is to make sure you could do the first thing. Amen. That if we act as if politics mean nothing, we act as if government means nothing, then we're all gonna be sharing our theological opinions from prison, and that's not an over-exaggeration. And all throughout the scriptures, there is a theme where God's heart for his people is to set us free. Liberty is not man's idea, it's God's idea. He does not want you to be a slave to addiction. Mm -hmm. He does not want you to be controlled by a tyrant. Jesus came here to set us free. And God's heart for, for us here on earth is not to live under despotic tyrants or authoritarians that are telling us how to live our life, how to worship, how to make choices or decisions. Liberty is the pursuit of virtue. And so I believe at this time, because all times are different, this particular time we as Christians have a moral obligation to fight for liberty against tyranny and rise up and it must start in the church. Amen. Hey, uh, do you... Do you want to come to our church on Sunday and just preach for me? Because I feel like uh, you do an amazing job. I'm like, yes, yes, this is amazing. Okay, I, I, love, I, I love your um, uh, understanding of the American church because you've, you've really traveled this nation. I mean, every corner of this nation. You go, I mean, 330 days a, a year, you are on the road going to places in America. You said something um, in one of your podcasts, podcasts not too long ago about three types of churches. Yes. And I want you to hit on that because you're seeing this. I think I felt this as a pastor for many years. I'm like, oh my goodness. I, when, you, when you laid it out the way you did, I said, yes, that's exactly what I noticed 10 years ago was happening. And for you to kind of put words to it, it like made my heart like leap out of my chest. Could you explain to us about the three churches yeah. that you're seeing? Yeah, so there's three types of churches. It's the three C's and we'll go through it. And I'm going to say this rather bluntly and plainly. You know my heart. If I offend you, 
Sorry, I guess. Um, <laughs> not, not, we're just going to be honest. We're running out of time. Right? This political correct stuff's a bunch of garbage. Okay? Amen. So, look, number one, let's start with the good, the courageous church. Good pastors like Micah. He's doing an amazing job. Pastors that are standing up for truth. Now, the courageous church is willing to stand up against government lockdowns and tyranny. The courageous church is willing to instruct their congregation about all the decisions they have to make. How do I marry? Who do I marry? How do I organize my finances? Who do I vote for? Right? Is it a good or bad thing that I'm gambling? The church must to equip the congregation, the flock, with answers about all of these otherwise confusing issues. The courageous church does not care what the New York Times says. The courageous church does not care about what the activists say. The courageous church doesn't care if people walk out of sermons because you might have said something they don't like. A courageous church does not look at success through budgets and buildings, which the most of the American church does, by the way. Mm -hmm. Instead, they say, how many souls are we winning? Are we proclaiming truth? The courageous church is the vast minority of churches in America. Mm -hmm. And just like courage in general is very hard to find, the courageous church is a growing but small community, and we're trying to help grow that at TPUSA Faith. Mm -hmm. The second type of church is the cowardly church. They're the church that knows what they should do, but they don't do it. And they'll say the following couple of excuses. We only do the gospel around here. (laughs) So do I. And I believe the gospel is about creating disciples, not converts of all nations. And discipleship goes deep. Discipleship means you're going to equip people to make good decisions in every arena of life, including what kind of government you're going to have. Don't tell me it's unimportant. Don't tell me it doesn't matter. More people have died from bad government last hundred years than anything else. So if you don't care about government, a lot of suffering can happen. As we as Christians should try to limit suffering. We should care for the least amongst us. If you have bad government, oppressive government, tyrannical government, well, look what happened in the last couple of years. How the, the lockdowns, the suicides, the mental health issues that are all byproducts of bad government policy and the type of system that we had. The cowardly church, and here's my call for a lot of you. If you have a pastor, if you are a pastor here in this audience that refuses to speak out at all about these issues, I want to challenge you because you can make a decision immediately to go from the cowardly to the courageous. And for those of you that might be on an elder board, you might be tithing to a church, and you're like, man, I'm not getting it out of my pastor. They're quiet on this. They say the Bible doesn't say anything about abortion. They haven't mentioned Roe v. Wade. They don't communicate about this stuff. They won't do a July 4th service about the brilliance and the magic and the exceptional nature of how God gave us the gift of America. They won't even dare do anything to honor our veterans. Then you've got to go challenge that cowardly pastor. Mm-hmm. Do it lovingly and directly and compassionately, but ask for a coffee, ask for a meeting, and look that pastor in the eyes, and you can listen to our library of podcasts and videos to give you the information <laughs> necessary. But have the conviction to do it and be like, hey, why don't you do a July 4th service? Just to say, thank you, Lord, we live in the freest, greatest country ever. Mm-hmm. Why don't you do that? Yeah. And don't, don't give me this whole thing about, well, you know, we only do the gospel. It says in Philippians 4, 8, whatever is good, whatever is true, whatever is beautiful, think on these things. America is good, mm-hmm. and it's worthy of appreciation and praise. And thanks to the Lord, because we're stewards of this nation. The cowardly pastor cares more about the budgets and whether or not he offends a vast minority of people rather than proclaiming truth to the body that so sorely needs it right now. And I just want to just kind of challenge that cowardly pastor and say, where is your line? Because there are 14 and 15 year olds right now in high schools that are being taught there's no difference than a man and a woman. There's 11 year olds that are being prescribed puberty blockers that will do irreversible damage because of these lie, the lies that are being pushed forward. If the church won't say clearly what a man and what a woman is, why do we expect secular society to do that? Oh, yeah. The church must lead on these issues. Mm-hmm. Not to mention, as we are now knocking on the doorsteps of a goal that would have otherwise seemed unreachable, which is the reversal of Roe versus Wade after the slaughter of innocent life over the last 40 or 50 years, pastors need to be leaning in to this issue yeah. and educating on it properly. So that's the cowardly. Now, believe it or not, there's an even worse category, (laughs) which is I yearn for the cowardly over this, which is the complicit. The complicit church is the one that has the LGBT flag outside of their church. You all know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. It's the church that has the BLM flag. They were quick to go mobilize their congregation to fight systemic racism, whatever that is, but they remain quiet when it comes to the issues of the transgender or the unborn. Or they won't take controversial stands unless it's been approved by all the right media members. They're the ones that say that Jesus would want you to take the vaccine. You've all heard these sermons. (laughs) They're complicit with the narrative and the agenda. 
Now, these pastors, I'll be very honest, I'm working on this. I, I'm very honest about my shortcomings, okay? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm true. We all deserve forgiveness. I have very little patience for these people, okay? Um, and so, patience, patience is not one of your spiritual gifts. No, so it's not. Okay, of course, right. I'm running out of time. I've got to do stuff, okay? I'm, no, I've got to be honest, right? Um, which is, like, the gloves kind of come off. Like, if you're in the ministry, like, just outwardly spreading lies for Instagram likes because you're some kind of weird, like, skinny jean-wearing, like, TED Talk pastor. No, don't okay, worry. Well, I was going to say it. Okay? All right. You're fine. Hey. No, no. I have some skinny. They always give me a hard time on Sunday. Skinny legs, not skinny it's, jeans, okay? It, I'm sorry. It, he, he passes the test tonight. It was right on the line. And the no sock thing is very questionable, but that's okay. So. Hey. I, I'm, this is summer for us here, no, man, okay? Fine. Like, this okay. is awesome weather outside. I'm being completely stereotypical <laughs> and accurate, by the way. So, so, but if that's more important to you... <laughs> oh, yes, go on. Go on. <laughs> Micah, aside, then those people should leave the ministry, and I mean that, which is that you are not in the ministry to get Instagram likes or social media followers or to go sell books. You're there to proclaim truth. You're there to bring people closer to ultimate meaning. And I'm afraid that the church far too often has become this kind of celebrity contest of people that are always trying to joust for what the world thinks and not what the word says. So the complicit church requires, in my personal opinion, direct challenging from the body of Christ and asking these pastors, whoa, 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 it'd be better if you said nothing than you said all this nonsense. And I could go through the names of these pastors, and there are these national pastors that do this, and it's so disappointing. And unfortunately, so the most amount of churches are cowardly, then complicit, and then courageous. And so my heart at TPUSA Faith is to try to make the courageous, you know, more empowered and to grow more courageous pastors and more courageous churches in any way we possibly can, try to shrink the complicit and try to shrink the cowardly, because courage begets courage, right? Amen. But here's the thing. Here's how I know that we're trending the right way. The last two years lockdowns, you know, all these different things, the churches that have taken stances on these issues, the ones that have decided to proclaim the truth and not care about the cost in an ironic, paradoxical way, their ties have gone up and their membership have gone up. And I can tell you it is Amen. the rule in every corner of the country. We've, From, we've seen that at Life Church. It's been amazing. I know Pastor Rob McCoy has seen that. I mean, God has blessed our church in amazing ways. Tithes gone up. The membership has gone up. We've seen people, like churches are closing their doors right now in our community. And we're looking around and be like, this has been an amazing season of growth for us. And I think it's because Pastor Nathan just said, I'm not going to sit idly by and, and stay quiet because the world's telling me to be quiet. And, I, and that's what's driving. God's spirit is being poured out on those, on those types of churches. Amen. And the church has to be the place where the body goes for answers. So when the church is cowardly or quiet or silent, then the mom that is right here in this audience right now that gets the question from your 15-year-old that just saw a TikTok video saying, hey, why is it wrong that you can choose your gender again? And you go to your pastor and the pastor says, sorry, we don't do that around here. That is a failure to Amen. your congregation. Yeah. The Amen. church needs to have the boldness and the ability and the knowledge to go to that, that mom and say, hey, let me tell you what. Let me tell you what the scriptures say about gender. Let me tell you what the scientific data shows about gender dysphoria. Let me tell you about how just because you feel something, it doesn't mean you are something, but how it says in the scriptures, your heart will actually lead you astray. Mm -hmm. And so this is the, where the, I think the church has an opportunity. And if the mom who goes to the pastor doesn't get it from the pastor, she'll go somewhere else. She'll go to some weird, like, Oprah Winfrey self-help book or something. No, seriously, or some sort of, like, Eastern Buddhist meditative podcast or something. No, seriously. Or she'll go to The View. Yeah, exactly. Which, and, which, which is a very real thing, which is they're going to seek counsel somewhere. And so, look, there's, there's, there's an intentional spirit of confusion that is trying to come across our land right now. And I think pastors and churches are seeing one of the great opportunities to lead the lost and lead the confused towards truth and towards the natural law and anchor them to reality and certainty. Amen. I love it. So you're, you're in academia a lot. Yep. I mean, that's kind of your wheelhouse. You've seen colleges really push this left-leaning agenda. You've seen it now trickle down into high schools and even middle schools and elementary schools. 
what is going on? We've got a lot of young people in the, in the audience right now or watching over at, uh, this is being streamed over at our Life Church Noblesville campus as well, and we know that there's a, there's a group of students over there watching. They're getting ready to step out into this. What would you tell them saying, okay, this is what you're going to hit when you go to college, or maybe you're in a high school right now, even in Hamilton County in the central Indiana, we are seeing radical, nonsensical ideology being pushed down the throats of our children totally void of their parents okay and 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 students or parents are being told to get out of the school boardrooms don't tell us what you think mom and dad this is not your job to teach the kids let us do whatever we do with your kid for eight hours a day and you don't get a right to say what what any, what you want us to do and what would you say to the students that are getting ready to step out and to the parents that are in that situation right now how do we combat this charlie yeah so let me just first make uh, some positive and then I'm going to indict college because that's kind of what I do. So, um, <laughs> so just be a lifelong learner, okay? You don't need to go to college to learn. Uh, the amazing part of our, where we are in the world is you can listen to podcasts, take online courses from Hillsdale College, read books, do, be a lifelong learner. Um, the more, the old quote, which many of you know, the more I know, the more I really realize how little I know when I thought I knew it all. And that's yeah. something that we should all embrace, which is my favorite part of my day is when I turn my phone on airplane mode and I do my two hours of learning. Hillsdale courses, Victor Davis Hanson articles, whatever it is, I love diving into, there's two types of knowledge, right? There's practical knowledge and then there's eternal knowledge. Practical knowledge is who's the governor of Michigan, who's the governor of Indiana. These are things that can change. Eternal knowledge is knowledge of things that never change. They'll be true today, they'll be true 200 years from now, and they were true 200 years prior. Eternal knowledge is rooted in the Bible, which of course we call wisdom. Mm -hmm. Eternal knowledge is wisdom. Um, our schools almost never touch on eternal knowledge, and they're hyper-focused on practical knowledge, mm -hmm. okay? So I just want to just first say, please, for the students out there, the parents out there, be lifelong learners. If you want to fight for liberty, and I see the great Moms for Liberty shirt up front, mm -hmm. they do a wonderful job. Such a good job, by the way. They're targeted by the FBI. That's how good of a job they're doing. <laughs> no, and I'll get to that in a second. It's unbelievable what's happened. Is that if you want to protect liberty, you must make learning one of your top priorities. And this kind of surprises people because they're like, oh, Charlie, got it. I'll figure it out. It's like, do you know everything about the World Health Assembly and the World Economic Forum? Do you know everything that they're doing? Do you know uh, the World Economic what? Forum, our governor just went there two days ago. And just so you know, yeah, there were a lot of people like, what the heck is Indiana's I, governor doing well, in Switzerland I, right now? I didn't know that, but I did know, <laughs> I did know that he vetoed the transgender bill. Oh, my goodness. Which, by the way, they overturned his veto, I believe. Yes. Which is awesome. And he's a, he's a Republican. I, I, I have gone after your governor. Right. Totally. He's a waste of time. He is. <laughs> And so, no, it's, you go to the World Economic Forum, you're whining and dining amongst some of the most evil and terrible people the planet yeah. has to offer. Yeah. If you, and it's just unbelievable. Davos, Switzerland, these, you, go read The Great Reset. So yeah. your governor, is, I didn't even know that, it's amazing, is rubbing elbows amongst people where their stated goals are saying you'll own nothing and you'll be happy. America will no longer be the world's superpower and Western values will be to a breaking point. Those are the goals of the World Economic Forum. And so, can't quite imagine what that would be all about. But to the point is that I wanna kinda of go a level deeper, which is you wanna protect the liberty you have to learn. Okay, so about education, right? So, let's start with college. College can be a great thing for some young people. It could be a terrible thing for some young people. This is the third rail of American life that everyone kinda of gets really nervous about, that no, one's say, want, no one wants to say out loud. And, but it just needs to be repeated. Uh, college is a scam for most young people. It is a scam. And let me be very clear. I prefaced it saying, I love learning. <laughs> That's one of the reasons why we need to be honest about college. Let's start with one. The national graduation rate is 59%. 41% of people that go to college do not graduate. All of you know at least a couple people that went to college and dropped out. They never should have gone to college in the first place. Meanwhile, we have a record deficit of carpenters, electricians, plumbers, welders, entrepreneurs, police officers, firefighters. Why? Answer. It's because most suburban moms don't want their kids to work with their hands. It's true. It's considered you failed as a parent in upper middle class society if your kid ends up working construction. It's a stigma and you know it's true. We ask our high school seniors, hey, where are you going to college? Not why are you going to college? If most parents even understood an iota, a fraction, of the kind of Russian roulette with the values that will happen when you send your kid to college, they would be flabbergasted. The number one piece of reaction, I travel, as you mentioned, 330 days a year, I meet a lot of people. They say, Charlie, I have four kids, half of them share my values. I say, where do they go to college? And they said, oh, I thought that Purdue was this great school. I thought IU was this, another thing against them. 
you know, as an institution, but they're indoctrination factories. They are. And you will play Russian roulette with these kids, your, these, these values, Notre Dame and, and as well, Michigan, U of I, University of Illinois. And so the question is, what is the redeemable value of these colleges? It's increasingly less. People say, well, you need the piece of paper because it's, oh, so it's a credentialing exercise, which it is. I mean, if you want to know why colleges are so devoid of wisdom? Well, because there's no God. Without God, there is no wisdom. Yep. The beginning of wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. Amen. And so let's just, and by the way, this is the title of my upcoming book, which is very, in a very vanilla title called The College Scam. Um, <laughs> if I was a college professor, I would actually use that book in my classroom. Yeah, that would be awesome. Which I, they're happy to uh, buy a bunch. So all proceeds, by the way, of the book go to Turning Point USA, which is, okay. which is great. That'll really bother them. So um, the, it's a 10-count indictment. But let's just start with one. That's every bad idea that you find to be reprehensible started at a college campus. Men can become pregnant, college campus. No difference than men and women, college campus. Defund the police, college campus. Critical, Open, critical yeah, theory. Critical race theory, critical theory, college campus. These are the incubators and the validators of every single bad idea in society. Why is this the least church generation in the, in the history of America? Because in college campuses with evangelistic zeal, they tell your children and grandchildren not to believe in God and pleasure is the ultimate pursuit. Now, I didn't go to college, so people say, how dare you talk about all this? Well, look, I'm the best and worst person to be able to talk about college because I could talk about how you could actually do something in your life without having to go to college. But also, I'm a little bit of a subject matter expert because I've spoken over 150 colleges in the last decade. We have an organization on over 750 college campuses and I've spoke from Berkeley to Boulder to Stanford to UCLA to, to Brown to Marquette and lived to tell about it all across the country. And so, but let me tell you this, college can be the right solution for some young people. If you know why you're going for an affordable way and you really know what you believe and you're not gonna be susceptible to all their indoctrination. But let me tell you bad reasons to go to college. Well, my parents are making me, that's an awful reason. Like, oh, I'm gonna figure out it out along the way. Why? What, what are you gonna figure out exactly? If you go to college to try to find what you're going to study, you're gonna lose something along the way. You're gonna lose those kind of values you were raised with. And so people say, well, Charlie, what would you do to replace it? Well, I took a gap year. It's been a gap decade now and <laughs> started an organization. God blessed it along the way. It's been amazing. But for parents out there, I just want to try to challenge you um, to try to not make your child going to college about you. If you're afraid to turn to your neighbor and say that, hey, Johnny's not going to college. If you're afraid to say that because of the social stigma or the looks or the people like, huh, then it's more about you than it is about the child. And I can tell you this, out of all of our, we have over 100,000 donors at Turning Point USA, most of which are over the age of 50. And the letters I get daily from parents saying, I wish I would have never sent my kid to college. They won't talk to me. They don't share my values. They don't believe in God. They're unhappy. It's happening every day, everybody. Mm -hmm. So just be very careful. And I'm afraid people aren't talking about this enough. It's like this automatic almost, we must send them no matter what. And then... So we need more trades, we need all these sorts of different things. But there's also, um, there's also just kind of this idea, I mean, there's like two good schools left in the country. Hillsdale is one of them. Mm -hmm. um, that's one, it's good. Yep. Um, I grew up in Hillsdale, by the way. Did you really? Yeah, yeah. Yep. The great Hillsdale College, yeah. they do an amazing job. They do. Um, <laughs> even though schools that used to be good, like Grove City's no good anymore, they've gone totally woke. What was um, the second, what was the second college? It you depends, said... Liberty's pretty good. Okay. Liberty University's yeah. yep. pretty good. We got, yeah, um, we got some I'm Liberty. sure I'm forgetting one, someone's upset. <laughs> but I mean, there's a couple ones peppered across. Regent, Regent. Oh, there we pretty go. Good. You're yeah, right, Regent. Regent's good, yeah. that's right. Yeah. Uh, Michelle Bachman's there now, she does a good job. Um, and so, besides that though, it's a vast minority of schools. Let me just kind of close with this, which yeah. is you must know why you're sending your kid to college, how you're educating them, but understand it starts even younger. The indoctrination starts in high school, it starts in middle school, it starts in the fundamental value shaping of social media and all that. And so, look, my, my first immediate goal if we had 20 to 30% less kids going to college, America would be a much freer and better place to live. Uh, and so the, the goal that I would have is having a lot of people not go to college and to learn to actually do something useful. Because yeah. we have a whole generation of young people that borrowed money they don't have to study things that don't matter, to find jobs that don't exist. And they say, hey, Charlie, you know, I got this degree in lesbian archery, and I don't know... <laughs> I don't know why I can't find a job. Okay, okay, hold on a second. 
I, I have to ask, is that, does that, come on, is that really a thing? Come on, is that like underwater basket weaving? The fact that you can't immediately dismiss it? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> oh, this is why China's winning, so, uh, yeah, okay, well, okay, what we're going to do now, though, uh, on that note, uh, that was amazing, I love that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use that one. Uh, okay, we are going to, uh, we're going to open it up for some questions for Charlie, because Charlie, I mean, one of the best on his feet kind of thinkers and speakers in this nation. So we want to kind of just give you a chance to uh, come down and share, or ask a question, and let Charlie share his heart on that issue. So um, not all at once, but if you would like to do that, we got Connor down here, we've got Jared right there. And they're just, just at some point, just come on down and we'll get to questions here. So you can start doing that now while they're doing that. Hit on, hit on this point real quick for me. We hear all the time in the media, Charlie, that America is a fundamentally racist nation. Yeah. Can, I love how you defend America and her history, and, and you, you make a great argument for what has happened to, to racism since America was founded. Yeah, I mean, what, thank you uh, for saying that. I spend a lot of time reading history of our founding fathers, and I get really defensive of them, actually. They were unbelievable people. Uh, we're the least racist country ever to exist in the history of the world. That's right. We have, a, we have a supply and demand problem with racism in America. We have an incredible demand to try to find the race, ho the race crimes, hoaxes, which they are hoaxes. Um, but we, yet there's such an unbelievable low supply that there's kind of a cottage industry of creating your own race, race hate crimes and try to make them popular. In what world do you have a problem with racism where someone like Jussie Smollett tries to pr pr come up with their own? Race crime. Do you think they were doing that with the KKK in the antebellum South where they were coming? No, like there was plenty of actual legitimate racism at the time. So like, let's kind of go through all of their kind of accusations. First of all, let's realize and recognize what we have. The fact that we're a multiracial, multi-ethnic, ethnic, multicultural society and we get along as well as we do in our country is unbelievable. Mm -hmm. The fact that we've been able to bring people from every corner of the world and we get along really, really well it, despite what you kind of see on CNN and on television, is a remarkable accomplishment. And so let's go kind of back to the Founding Fathers. A common kind of incantation that they'll say is that the Founding Fathers were super racist, they owned slaves, therefore they're not worthy of study or appreciation. Well, something we all have in common as human beings is you're all born into a world you did not create. And every single one of the Founding Fathers was born into a world where slavery was everywhere. And then they had a couple choices to make. And they started to think very deeply about this. And thanks to the writings of the Declaration of Independence, the movement of the abolition of slavery began. Vermont abolished slavery in 1777, the first state to do so. In 1775, it was the first anti-slavery convention ever held in the history of the world, chaired by Benjamin Franklin. By the time the Constitution was ratified in 1787, nine out of 13 of the original states or colonies had already independently abolished slavery. We right here, believe it or not, where we're sitting, is in the Northwest Territories. Well, it used to be called the Northwest Territories. What I mean by that is there was a pass, there was an act of Congress in 1787 called the Northwest Ordinance. It had several articles. Now, Article 6 of the Northwest Ordinance said the following, that every single square mile or acre of the Northwest Ordinance would be free of slavery. And it was passed by every single state, 13 to nothing unanimously. When they were thinking about expansion of new lands, they knew new lands must be free and not slave. Now, think about this. If you're expanding new lands, isn't that a projection of your values? Mm -hmm. A projection of what you believe? Yet 13 colonies agreed that the Northwest Territories of now what is Indiana, Illinois, Michigan, Wisconsin, Iowa, and Minnesota would be slave-free. Not to mention Thomas Jefferson signed a moratorium of the importation of new slaves in March of 1807. The, the practice of slavery was starting to be decoupled to such a great extent, thanks to the abolition movements of William Wilberforce in Britain, that the British Empire actually used their own troops to enforce the abolition of the slave trade by going and arresting slave traders all throughout the 18-teens and 1820s. John Quincy Adams, America's sixth president, only served one term. He was such a focused abolitionist that after he lost the presidential election to Andrew Jackson, that he went to go run for Congress, so they had to come up with a new rule in Congress that you could not introduce the same bill every single day, which was a bill to abolish slavery. He was so focused on it. Now, of course, we had a civil war. We fought a war to end slavery. Hundreds of thousands, 600,000 Americans died to be able to abolish slavery. But let's just take, kind of take a step backwards and understand where we're living today. There are more slaves right now on the planet than any other time in human history. The fact you end slavery is a big deal. Why did we end slavery? 
We ended slavery because of the courage and the heroism, the bravery and the moral clarity of the founding fathers. When they were born, slavery was everywhere. When they died in the 1820s, slavery was largely on the way out and was abolished in the vast majority of the population in North America. That's something that's worthy of study, appreciation, and gratitude. Amen. I love it. <clears throat> I, I have a feeling you, you're going to be a professor at Hillsdale College here pretty soon, so uh, that's They'll amazing. have a professor that didn't go to college. <laughs> I think it's amazing. Be wonderful. It's amazing. All right, hey, let's, let's start here, Connor. Who do, you, who do you got? Is that Adam? It is. Hey, Adam, what's up, buddy? <laughs> good, good. All right, this is, what mic color do you have? The, the yellow one? Okay. Is that yellow mic on there, Carl? Yep. Can you hear me now? Yep. My question is, in a state like the one you grew up, like Illinois, it's very, very clear who the people who are fighting our values are. They typically have a D next to their name. But in states like ours, everybody likes to call themselves a Republican. So my question for you is, how do you tell the difference between a rhino and a patriot? I feel like that's a joke coming. I don't know. How do you tell the difference between the right and the patriot? <laughs> a patriot doesn't go to Davos. How about that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> good. Yeah. So, look, there's a checklist, right? So, they'll talk a good game on guns, which, by the way, I just want to say what an unbelievable, horrific tragedy mm -hmm. in Texas. Like, it ruined my day, honestly, the last 24 hours. Yeah. Just such unspeakable evil. And just the immediate political... Robert Francis O'Rourke starts interrupting the press. I mean, these people are so despicable, honestly. Like, it's basically they're giving a eulogy and a funeral, and they interrupt it for political purposes. And so it, just, it should be a time of national mourning, and they immediately yeah. go into a political posture. It's so disgusting and so gross. But yes, I mean, Republicans will talk a good game on guns. They'll talk a good game on these things. But there are certain issues where they'll really kind of go back. Um, and a couple of them that you kind of spot check on is, you know, how do they feel on mandatory vaccines? How do they feel on lockdowns? These are ways mm -hmm. to flush out the rhino, yeah, right? To good. get them from behind the brush. Like, ooh, now I see you, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> Will they admit that there is a globalist force trying to squeeze the American way of life? Do they pander to every need, want, and concern of corporations? Or do they just kind of give you open-ended platitudes and one-liners that always kind of sound good? Are they willing to say that when it comes down to it, they will defy the federal government and Joe Biden to protect their voters? Or they're just going to kind of go back to cushy type of sound bites? Um, so this is something that our political vehicle, again, we're, we have TPUSA Faith here, which is a 501c3, but we have a political vehicle, Turning Point Action and Turning Point PAC, where we're going to be heavily involved now in the vetting of candidates. Good. Um, and I, I think this is very necessary, where I, I was on, there's some great, there's, and this is not a slight against any organization, they do wonderful work, but I think better work can be done of giving you the information of the good candidates. And because I have no, I have no vested interest. I don't, I don't go to DC. I don't lobby for stuff. Because a lot of these organizations are always lobby. It's like weird, right? They rate the candidates and they lobby. I, I don't do that. I don't care. I just want to make sure you guys can make good decisions and give you the honest truth. And I could tell you that, that you, your question is so good because Republican politicians take you for granted. They think they can kind of raise a bunch of money and wink and nod and be like, yeah, I'm going to say the right things to the grassroots when in reality they're so distant from your actual values, right? Yeah, yeah. And so I think that it's, it's beyond necessary and it's time that the grassroots gets the information so you guys can make the best decisions. And the final thing I'll say is get involved in your primaries, everybody. Yes. Your primaries are so unbelievable. You guys just had primaries, we just had right? Them, yeah, a couple I don't weeks know ago. How they, I don't know how they worked out. I hope they worked out favorably, but okay. Mm -hmm. Cool. Uh, Jared. Hi. My name's Lori, and um, I am a Hoosier who moved to North Carolina, so how do I find my courageous church? Because I can't find one. So, um, I'm sorry. I you... need that courageous church. How oh, can I find it? So you it? live here in Indiana? No, now I live in North Carolina. Okay, if I was part here, of, I'd what, know where to go. What part of North, what part of North <laughs> Carolina? I was going to say, like, hello. I, know, I, I mean, <laughs> I'm sorry. What, what? Um, north of Wilmington, Topsail Island, by, like by Camp Lejeune. Okay, I don't know any in that specific area. Yeah. I, know, I have some great ones in Charlotte, some great yeah. ones in Boone. We'll connect you, though. So this is part of... That's what I want. So we're developing. We haven't even been doing a year. Jared is doing a great job with us. And so at TPUSA Faith is we want to have just a directory of vetted churches that you could find. And people are messaging yeah. me, and I respond really quickly on my podcast where they say, what's the great church in Albuquerque? Steve Smotherman's church. 
How about Phoenix, Arizona? I got a long list. And it's amazing that sometimes they live five minutes away and they had no idea. And so we'll definitely get you connected with one. I don't know one off the top of my head in that particular area, but we have at least 10 good churches in other parts of North Carolina that I know. Dream City has one in Asheville. I know that's quite a ways. That's the other side, right? Um, Charlotte, we have a couple in, um, in Raleigh. But I know, I'm just saying that we're, we're building that work and we're strengthening it. But we want to be able to make sure you know the good churches so you could support them with your tithes, your time, and your offerings. So God bless you. Great that'd question. Be a, that'd be a good app. Like if you had an app yeah. on your phone, like a Turning Point app, like a church app, like right find your the, church. The, yes, yeah, I know, right? Ah, yeah, love it. I'm gonna make you. Okay, you're hired. You're gonna do it. So. <laughs> uh, Connor, yeah. Okay, uh, because of my understanding of the history and how this country was founded, and the sacrifices and the 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 blood that it took to get liberty and and justice for all. Do you believe or think that it's going to be able to be kept or uh, brought back to us peacefully? That's my prayer, and that should be your prayer too. Mm -hmm. The other side doesn't want that. And so I denounce violence in every form whatsoever because the other side continually tries to provoke us towards it. And I want you to think about it. It's almost as if they're trying to trigger a reaction that then can trigger a counter-reaction to really take our freedoms and liberties away. You could see that with how they reacted to the January 6th stuff, which they want to create like a whole new kind of super state. I'm going to kind of connect it to Moms for Liberty. Moms for Liberty, wonderful organization, where they literally go and show up at school board meetings to complain about curriculum. And they, they said in the memo, the National School Board Association of America memo, they, they wanted Joe Biden to use the, na the military police and to go send in the National Guard to school board meetings because they were so worried that parents were complaining about curriculum. Now, if, you, if they want to keep things peaceful, why would you want to bring the military police to school board meetings? Yeah. Go a step further. One of the leaders from Moms for Liberty, was, was it you or was, it wasn't you? Okay, no. Okay, I, I, was, I want to make sure I get... Okay. <laughs> that was literally spied on by the Department of Justice using threat assessment tags because they showed up at a school board meeting. So there's very, very malevolent and pernicious and dark activity happening at the top levels of our government. Let me tell you what, the other side, I think, wants to try to provoke us so that they can use force against us. I believe, though, that our greatest asset is what God gave us, which is our ability to speak to have dialogue. In the beginning, there was the word. The word is actually rational speech. And the word was God. The word was with God. And the word became God. I believe that our greatest hope is to win people over using our capacity to persuade and to convince and have better arguments. They're the ones that continuously have to use force against us. We're the ones that can win people over when they hear our arguments and our ideas. So you ask me, do I think it can happen peacefully? Yes, I do. In fact, I believe that it, it I, I don't want it to happen because no one wants that, okay? In any way, shape, or form to happen any other, any other way besides that. Let me say one final point on this, though, which people ask me all the time, Charlie, are you pessimistic? Are you optimistic? And I refuse to answer the question because if I tell you I'm optimistic, then you're going to go home and do nothing because you say, oh, we're going to win because Charlie said we're going to win. If I say I'm pessimistic, you're going to go home and say I'm going to do nothing because Charlie said we're going to lose. So... <laughs> The way I'm going to answer the question is, is what are you doing about it to make sure we win? That's, that's the answer, Good. which is it takes all of us in how we purchase goods, in where you send your kids to school, in what you buy, in where you travel, in all these things that matters. Reviving citizen government. And I can tell you right now, from the World Economic Forum to the people of the World Health Assembly to the people in our government, they're super paranoid and nervous that the everyday citizen is rising against their regime. They don't understand why we have not given up yet. They don't understand why everyday Americans are more hopeful. They thought that we were going to give up and raise the white flag. But guess what? We as Americans are tougher than that. We're not the French that run away when things get bad. <laughs> we're not the British that complain about everything all the time. No, we're Americans. And it's going to take a lot more than an interfered with election and this joke of a president and all this nonsense to get, have us give up 
Not after the history we have, not after the greatest generation, not after the founding fathers. We got a lot, we got a lot of fight left in us as Americans, and they don't get it, and that's why we're going to win. Thank you. I appreciate it. Amen. It's awesome. All right, uh, Jared. Hi, my name is Malachi, and I was wondering if you were going to add any middle school content soon. If you want to start a middle school Turning Point USA chapter. That's right. I love, you want to do that? <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so we have, great question. We're working on curriculum. We're working on some things through Turning Point Academy. We're going to have some big announcements soon, uh, actually with a church in Phoenix, Arizona. That's going to be really exciting. Um, where we're going to have Christian biblical curriculum, Christian biblical economic teaching that if the Lord decides to bless it, uh, can maybe be outsourced to schools across the country. There's a lot of people doing curriculum. We're not going to try to duplicate anything, but I think that there is a unique need for Christian-based civic education right now that really makes a good defense Amen. of America and from a Christian and biblical worldview. Um, and that includes 6th, 7th, and 8th grade as well. Um, and I tell, I tell parents this. Look, our podcast, and we'll talk about our podcast at the end of this conversation, never a swear word, never any... I always kind of warn parents ahead of time if there are sensitive topics. 6th, 7th, and 8th graders, I think, should be listening to our podcast. You could learn a lot, news of the day, and I think it would actually make you more informed and better understanding kind of what's happening in the world around you. So awesome. God bless you, Malachi. Yeah, it's awesome, Thanks Malachi. for being here. Yep. Here's a follow-up. Yeah. And I just turned 11 today, and I'm wondering if you have any books besides the Bible um, that I are good for me to read? Uh, that's a great question. So 11 years old. Um, I'll give you a couple good books. So when you're 11 to 15, parents should be getting their kids to read a lot of biographies because kid needs, kids need heroes, okay? Biographies are great ways to be able to get kids to believe that their life can have meaning and to rep, because at that age of life, they really need someone to kind of look up to. Um, find a good biography on Winston Churchill. He's the greatest man to live in the 20th century. Uh, a story of pure will, and we're all, we all live freer today thanks to Winston Churchill. Um, for 11 years old, if you can get through it, Mere Christianity is a great book. Mm -hmm. If you can get through, I think you're smart, so you could do that. Um, and then I would also recommend the Founder's Bible, which is a phenomenal oh, Bible uh, that my great friends gave me, uh, which is a way to read the Bible and also have some historical uh, knowledge throughout. If, if, you're a, if you're willing and able for it and your parents are okay with it, because uh, there are some sensitive and suggestive scenes, uh, 1984 and Brave New World, but those are a little bit more adult books at times, but they'll teach you a lot about tyranny and they'll turn you into an ultra-patriot very, very quick. <laughs> an ultra-mega-patriot. Uh, ultra-mega-patriot, ultra that's right. <laughs> Isn't that the craziest thing? Oh my goodness, like that was they, so funny. I was like, yeah, that's what I am. Yeah, that's, that's what I awesome. am. <laughs> like, put that on a shirt. I love right. that. Um, the final thing that I would say, boy, at age 11, um, kind of just a really good kind of go-to reference and, and go-to book um, for anybody of any age um, is kind of the timeless work of our founding fathers. Anything that they wrote from the Federalist Papers or their private journals are just great to go to. But I gave you enough references, so um, dive into those. Be a lifelong learner and find out. And here's something I wish someone would have told me at 11. Find out the best way you learn. If you read books best, do that. If you listen to audiobooks, do that. If you're a visual person, do that. Um, and I wish someone would have told me that earlier because I, I'm, I'm, I'm the best at listening. I listen to books all the time. Some people aren't that way. I'm an okay reader. I just love consuming information audibly. I just remember it better. So God bless you, Malachi. Thanks for being here. Appreciate it. And I think we'll do, I, I hate to cut it short, but I just want to be respectful of everyone's time here, but I think we'll maybe do two more uh, questions if that's okay. Does that sound... Is this something I know? I'm sorry. I would. I, would well, I could stay later. I just. I mean, whatever you guys want. I mean, your I, team is going to kill me. They were like, well, you gotta, <laughs> "Okay, well, hey, I'm he here. said, he said." It's so still maybe, light outside. That's true. So. It is, and it's it's, it's summer. I want to be respectful of your time, but I yeah. look. I want to. I also want to bless you guys in any way I can. So I'm here to stay. So we'll so. do maybe a couple more. So we'll, we'll see what that is. All right, Connor, what do you got? Hi, my name is Mackenzie, and I was thinking about your topic of the three churches and the three C's. And I was speaking to actually a few of my Christians and my fellow circles, ones especially my age, and I was trying to ask them, like, why don't you stand up? Why don't you fight for things? Why do you see this as an issue? And two of the reasons they give me is they like to quote Romans 13, 1 to me, yeah, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, so there is no power but of God, the powers that be are ordained of God. And so they like to say, well, we're supposed to be subject to them. God obviously put them in place there, so we need to respect their leadership. 
And then they also like to throw the argument out there, well, we know what's going to happen in the end. We're, we're told how the end is supposed to look, so anything we do is not going to stop it, so why fight now? Because we ultimately know how it's going to end. How mm. should I respond to that? Because I know that's not right, because I know Great. we're still Great. called to fight. How should I respond to them saying, well, we need to be subject, yep. and we also just need to, I guess, be okay with it because it's not going to matter in the end? You just asked a great question, but I'm going to yeah. involve you in the answer, okay? All right, so in Romans 13, it says we must submit to all rulers and those in authority, right? So I'm going to ask you, and there's no wrong answer, but let's kind of learn together. Uh, according to the U.S. Constitution, who are the rulers? We the people. Right. Boom. So the politicians have to submit to us. Yes. You know how many... Do you know right. how many pastors? It is amazing how many pastors in this last two years have t said to me, Micah, you're not submitting to the authority God raised up. I'm like, who is that? It's us. What are you talking about? And, and, and that's, the, that's the amazing breakthrough the founders are able to accomplish. Yeah. The sovereign is with the people, not the king, not the bloodline, not the Politburo, not the bureaucracy. <laughs> so the rulers actually, if they read Romans 13 and they're elected, they must submit to our will, which is the people, and we submit to God's will, hopefully, okay? Number one. Number two, you asked about eschatology, okay? The study of the end times. So people ask me all the time, Charlie, are you pre-trib? Are you post-trib? Look, I'm pan-trib. It's all going to pan out in the end, okay? <laughs> Never in the Gospels does Jesus say to stop fighting evil or proclaiming truth if you think things are all of a sudden going to be going toward, never does it. Says, occupy till I come. Yep. Be salt and light. So look, people say all the time, Charlie, the house is on fire. I just want to get the kids out. Jesus is coming next Thursday. We're all getting zapped up. I say, you're using your eschatology as an excuse. Jesus says the time and the hour is unknown. You look at the signs of the times, but if your inaction is correlated to an apathy, then I'm going to say something provocative. You're no different than Greta Thunberg. <laughs> how dare you seriously but how dare let's think about you. it Greta Thunberg and people that don't act because their eschatology are doing the same thing for the same reason the world is going to end so why does it matter yeah. and that's nihilism that is not Christianity Christianity we should be trying to proclaim the truth if you think things are falling apart you should be accelerating your attempt to try to spread God's goodness not the opposite so the answer I would say is reject your friend's cynicism and excuse and nihilism to try to say, well, we know how the book ends, and we also know what we're supposed to do. Yeah. We know that the persecution is supposed to intensify, but we lean in. We know that the lies and the slander are going to increase, but we lean in. And we know that God will bless us or judge us based on how we do that at that period of time. So challenge your friends to not allow their eschatology to be an excuse for their inaction. Wonderful question. Thanks Love for being it. here tonight. Yeah. Two more. Okay, we'll do two more. We'll do two more. Here and there. Okay. Hi, Charlie. My name's Amanda Tokas. And about a year ago, I started kind of a grassroots effort in my school district getting involved and uh, recently decided to go ahead and run for school board. And thank you. One of the things that I'm already tackling is uh, trying to identify uh, sexually explicit books within our schools. And I've tapped into that. And the media and a lot of people, are, of course, have gotten the you know, National Library Association involved, and of course they're attacking me. My question to you then is, do I engage or do I disengage? So are they attacking you for trying to... They're labeling me as a book banner yep. and racist and homophobe. Okay, um, well, if it's making, <laughs> if it's harder for you to do your job, then I'm always okay with responding and all that. I, I think you should fight lies wherever they come across your life. Um, that's my own personal opinion. And so kind of let's talk about this kind of idea of book banning. This is such a, it's insane. So the protection of the innocence of children by definition requires standards and restriction. By, by definition. I mean the innocence of children is something that Jesus himself went out of his way to say that we have a moral obligation to try to protect. And so this is where liberty goes wrong if you don't understand what liberty is. Liberty is the pursuit of virtue. Liberty is not doing what you want to do whenever you want to do it. I'll prove it to you. The least free person that all of you know is an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. They are the least free people in the world. They are a slave to their flesh. The flesh is always telling you to do what you want to do, when you want to do it, how you want to do it. Liberty is restraining yourself towards virtue because that's actually keeping you free. And you as a parent or guardian have to do the restraining. 
So you're not a book banner. No, no, no. You're implementing virtuous books and good things, but you will prevent nonsensical garbage and, yes, satanic garbage from being put towards 10, 11, 12-year-olds. Stuff that is pornographic by any other objective measure. So I just want to encourage you, first and foremost, you're doing the right thing. National Library Association, all these maniacs, whatever they're doing, whatever. Um, I, so I think there's something really sick and twisted about this growing pervert movement in America mm -hmm. that wants to keep on trying to go after people's children. Uh, we're on the side of parents. They're on the side of perverts. And the innocence of children is something we must defend unquestionably, no matter what. Thank you. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Yep, yep. All right, so we'll do one more question, but first, just first, I want to do a, a, a selfish plug really quick, everybody, if you'll go with me. Um, so as I mentioned, we do three podcasts a day, three hours of radio a day. We are un under constant threat by Google and Facebook to kind of kick us off these platforms. So one way you guys could bless us, it's totally free of charge, um, is you guys could subscribe to our podcast and, and just... Uh, you take out your phone. It's free of charge. It's really easy. I think there's a QR, QR code, right? Code. Yep. Now, yep. if you, you did it at the other church, that's great, at uh, the other location, um, which is, if you don't know what a QR code is, where's Malachi? <laughs> Malachi can, can walk yeah. you through that. Let me tell you why this blesses us really quick. Um, we are, this is a free of charge way we could stay in touch. If we could be, maybe become your daily news source, maybe once a week, we do, pot, I mean, you'd agree, Micah, we spend a lot of time on it, a lot of research. Yep. So thank you guys for considering it. Once you go to that page, you hit the subscribe button, which is the upper right-hand corner, or you can just take out your podcast app, type in Charlie Kirk Show. It blesses us. We had over 127 million listeners last year, Amazing. and we are the number one podcast out there that regularly talks about the gospel and brings people close to the Lord. So please consider doing that. Thank you, and we'll go to the last yeah. question. I think, we, I think we got uh, Amelia there. Is it? Yeah, okay. Awesome. Yep, one last question. Um, well, my name's Amelia, and mine's kind of a two-part question. So I've been, you know, interested and had a passion for freedom pretty much my whole life since I was a little girl. And, you know, I've had other Christians actually tell me that Christians shouldn't be involved. Yeah. And I w watched um, a Ronald Reagan speech a few weeks ago, The Evil Empire, that's what it's called. And he was talking about how Christians that think that, it's actually a pride issue because they think they're above it. They're above politics and things. Right. And I just wondered what you thought of that and also um, what a young conservative like me can do to get involved. Because, you know, I post on social media and all those things, but you only can reach so many people like that. Right. So. Well, first of all, um, I totally agree. It's a pride thing. I also think that it's twofold. I think some people don't want to get involved because um, they don't want the annoyance of it. Um, they wish it didn't exist. You know, people say all the time, oh, politics is messy. Like, so is the church. What's your point, right? Anything that involves human beings is going to be messy. But politics is important. It's very important. The type of government we have matters a lot. I'm not saying it's more important. Remember, first thing, second thing. But we have, we have to push back against that nonsense in every single, um, every single possible way. Um, your second point, what can a young conservative do? What can conservatives do? This is a great final question, by the way, because I was going to get here. So many of you came here tonight, and you laughed, and you got excited, and you're wondering, all right, Charlie, well, what do I do? The odds seem overwhelming. Like, I've done everything that's been asked of me. I watched Tucker Carlson. <laughs> I bought the pillow. <laughs> I have piles which, of... Re which is funny. I have actually do both of those yeah. things. I did actually buy a pillow. I was like, I got to support that guy. He's amazing. I got piles of relief factor. <laughs> I reverse mortgaged my home. <laughs> I have this weird chair that goes up the stairs. I don't even know what it does. Like, what else can I do? I'm going to give you some marching orders, everybody, which is we have to change our attitude to an attitude of courage. And that is from the Lord. In all that we do, what is courage? Courage is doing the right thing when you do not know how it's going to work out. Courage is committing yourself to the good above the expedient. Cur moral courage is the most necessary yet absent characteristic in men. And the cool thing about courage is anyone can be courageous. Mm. You don't have to be smart. You don't have to be rich. You don't have to be well-connected. Anybody can make a choice to be courageous. You just have to make that choice. The courage, the courageous person, says, I don't care what will be done to me. I care what is good and what is true. So we as Christians are called to do more courageous action. That's number one. Number two, we got to build more stuff. we got to build bigger families. 
We gotta build bigger churches. We have to build bigger businesses. God, we are made in the image of God as creators. We gotta create more stuff and build more stuff and we have to take more risks, in my personal opinion, in the marketplace and building bigger churches and bigger communities and doing all that. We have to stop this cynical nonsense which was alluded to earlier. Charlie, everything's falling apart or it's falling into place or whatever. I'm not gonna do anything. Reject that. The time and the hour is unknown. We have to think bigger, more ambitiously. We're up against the most unhappy, the most kind of foolish and quite honestly like degenerate political movement ever. They're always negative all the time. We could be the positive. We should be that we have we have the true answers. So we should always be spreading that with joy and compassion and magnanimity. And the final thing I'll say with this, which I think is really important of what you can do, is you've got to keep on bringing it to the Lord. Fast and pray for your nation. Daniel did this. And I encourage people at least once a month, if you're worried about your country, and again, you've got all the accessories around your house, right? You know, the relief factor and the pill and all that. (laughs) I'd say your time would be better used fasting and praying for your nation. The Lord will speak to you. Ask God for wisdom and he will give it to you generously is what it says in James 1.5. And so keep on bringing that to the Lord. And I think God will speak to you in amazing ways. He might whisper in your ear, run for office. Whisper in your ear, support that ministry. Whisper in your ear, Micah's family needs some help and support. Pray for them. So be constantly engaged and involved. And it's a, it's a posture change, which I know is hard for some of you, where we have to stop being a spectator and start being a participant in the arena. It could be something as simple as getting involved with the Teep USA faith group that we have at Life Church. It could be something like, hey, I'm going to help the local Republican organization. I'm going to bring them cookies once a month. Whatever it is, you're going to get more engaged and more involved. I'm going to be a Princeton committeeman. I'm going to go help register voters. All these things matter. But that changes with the attitude, an attitude of optimism and of joy and of asking God, God, use me as your vessel wherever we possibly can to fight for liberty to set the captives free. God bless you. Appreciate Amen. it. Yeah. Well, can we just thank Charlie for being here? This was incredible. I mean, you are, you are such an encouragement. And um, thank you guys so much. God bless Indiana. Thank you, brother. Appreciate you. Yep. Yep. Well, hey, wasn't that awesome? Charlie is an inspiration to many. And we hope you were inspired today. What a, what a privilege it was to be with Charlie Kirk. Hey, check out Turning Point's website, tpusa.com. And while you're at it, like and subscribe to Jesus, Sex, and Politics. Tell your friends about it. We'll catch you next time.